Hello and welcome to the What Does It Say podcast. My name is Josh Halb, and today we're going to be looking at Job chapter 6. In this section of Job, we're looking at, it started back in chapter 3, we're in the section in which Job has dialogue with his friends. And so in chapter 3, Job speaks up and begins this conversation by cursing the day of his birth. And then Eliphaz's friend in chapter 4 and 5 answers Job. And where we left off was with Eliphaz telling Job that he and the friends, he and the three friends have all the answers to Job's problems. That Job just needs to listen to them and they're going to show him the right way. And really, all Job has to do is repent from this supposed sin that he's committed. And God's going to forgive him. God's going to bless him. Everything is going to go back to being right. Well, we love to think we always have the right answers. But the truth was the friends were pretty wrong with their assumptions of why Job was suffering. So begin here with chapter 6 and verse 1 it says, Then Job answered. So now we're going to get Job's response to Eliphaz and his um, improper accusations. Then Job answered in verse 1, now that my grief is actually now oh that my grief were actually weighed and laid in the balances together with my calamity, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the seas. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me, their poison my spirit drinks, the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray over his grass? Or does the ox low over his fodder? Can something tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste? In the white of an egg. My soul refuses to touch them. They're like loathsome food to me. And so here Job replies to Eliphaz's harsh and unmerciful comments. And Job begins by wishing his friends would actually weigh out his grief with his punishments. If you just look at all Job's punishments. Lost his kids. Lost his possessions. Lost almost all of his servants. He's got boils and sores, and he's sitting out in the ashes. If you just looked at that, perhaps you could see why he's responding to God in the situation the way that he is. If you would just look at how much he's suffering, maybe then you would be able to understand why he wishes he was dead. But the Eliphaz has the same problem we tend to have. And that problem is we tend to be on one extreme or the other. Either A, we disregard people's suffering and maximize the problem with the response. Meaning, we don't care why they're suffering, we just care about the way they're responding to it. Oh, Job, you shouldn't curse the day of your birth. Job, you shouldn't speak out like this. Job, you're sinning by the way you're talking. Or Job, you've done something wrong. Or... We disregard people's response and maximize pity for their sufferings. Oh, it's okay that you sinned or said something or did something that's wrong. Because we understand that you're suffering, you're hurting right now. So the way you react to your suffering, we're going to kind of let that slide. Well, both extremes are bad. We need to be sympathetic. But yet we need to be willing to tell people the truth. And the way we know whether we need to be purely sympathetic or purely um, 
trying to help them see where they've sinned or done something wrong is we just need to use wisdom. We need to use wisdom when dealing with hurting people because there are going to be situations when you just need to step back and just be there to comfort them and not tell them all the things that they're doing wrong or they've done wrong. And then there are going to be other times when you need to step in and say, hey man, I don't think you totally handled this correctly. Let's talk about this. So we need to use wisdom. Job's suffering has been so much, has been so heavy on him. And that's the reason why he's speaking out like this, the reason why he's been so sorrowful. And Job feels like God is the one that's been out for him. Did you notice that in verse 4? The arrows of the Almighty are within me. Their poison my my, my spirit drinks. You know, Job feels like God is just using him for target practice. This suffering, this poison, it's been so hard on Job. He can hardly swallow it. It tastes so bitter. It tastes so hard. It's hard to swallow. And Job in verse 8 goes back to what he said in chapter 3. Look at what he says. Oh, that my request might come come to pass, that God would grant my longing. What says longing? Verse 9, that God would that God were willing to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. Job in chapter 3 wishes that he was dead, wishes that he was never born, and if he had to be born, that he would have died. So here he asks God, God, just kill me. Just let me go. Let me die. Isn't that a horrible, horrible thing to think? We've asked this question before, but we should revisit it. Was Job suicidal? The truth was that Job was not suicidal in the way we think. We consider suicidal to be this idea of, I want to kill myself. I want to be the one to end my life. That's not what Job was thinking. Job did not want to be the one to end his life. And Job did not end his life. Job wanted God to be the one. Job wanted God to be the one. Job wanted God to be the judge. To allow him to die. And so, no, Job is not suicidal in the way we would think. But yet, he still wishes he was dead. And so, Job, while yes, he's rebuking his friends, yes, he converses with his friends, but really, his problem is with God. Because Job feels like God is the one after him. God's the one against him. And so, while he gets annoyed with his friends and he's got to deal with them and talk to them, he wants God. He wants to talk to God. He wants to, you know, work these things out with God as we're going to see later in the book. But he wishes he was just dead. But, in verse 10, it is still my consolation and my rejoice and unsparing pain that I would not deny the words of the Holy One. Job, even in the midst of his suffering, says he rejoices. How can you rejoice in unsparing pain? How can I today rejoice even though I'm suffering? And I don't know why I'm suffering. Or I'm not suffering because I've done anything wrong. Maybe I'm suffering because someone else has done something to me. How can I rejoice in that kind of situation? You can rejoice as a Christian, as a righteous person, because you are not denying the words of the Holy One. If we suffer but yet stay righteous, 
we can rejoice. James 1 tells us that suffering produces perseverance and, and it makes us perfect, lacking in nothing. Our goal is to be more perfect and suffering is going to help us become more perfect. Romans 5 teaches us that suffering helps build our character and build hope within us that while I suffer here on earth, my perseverance is proving that I'm really dedicated to the Lord, really trying to do the right thing, but also that it's building this hope in me that I'm longing for this new day to come, this new day when the Lord's going to come back and I'm going to be at rest in heaven. I'm building this hope. I'm not attached to this world. Suffering can help us not be so attached to this world. Can you see that in Job? Job is very much so. I'm ready to get out of this place. I'm ready to die. Now, Job doesn't say he's ready to go to heaven. Job perhaps may not even believe in the judgment day, maybe in the afterlife. But what Job is ready for is to go somewhere outside of this realm, outside of this world. Can we get to be in that place? Can we get to be in the place where I am not storing up my treasures here on earth anymore? I'm storing them up in heaven. Can we get to that place? We can, and a very helpful and practical way we get there is through the Lord working on our hearts and allowing us to suffer. May we never be too attached to this world. May we always be having our minds fixed on heaven, on this coming day in which we can rejoice and live with Him in heaven. Returning back, Job is willing to rejoice in his sufferings because he's trying to hold on to his integrity. No matter what happens, Job is going to hold on. And yet, he's not going to last forever. His suffering is intense. Job sees real no end to his suffering. And only, perhaps only God is going to be the one who's going to be able to intervene and help him. He doesn't know why he's suffering. He doesn't know what's going on. And he doesn't know how long it's going to happen for. So this is a hard thing for him to go through. Verse 11. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should endure? Is my strength the strength of stones? Or my flesh bronze? Is it that my help is not within me? And the deliverance is driven from me? Since suffering is intense, he doesn't know when it's going to end. But no matter what you go through in life, no matter if you can see the end or not, God is the one who can intervene for you. And really, God ought to be our strength. Our strength should not be in other things. Our strength should be strong, should be holy in the Lord. The Lord is the one who's going to be able to help me and deliver me. It's not going to be me. It's not necessarily going to be somebody else. It's going to be the Lord at the end of the day who's going to be the one who can help me. And so now Job is going to turn his attention from his own suffering and look at the friends and the way they're responding to Job's suffering. Look at verse 14. For the despairing man should be kind. For the despairing man, there should be kindness from his friend, so that he does not forsake the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have acted deceitfully like a wadi, like the torrents of wadis which vanish, which the turbid, which the turbid, which are turbid because of ice, and into which the snow melts. When they become waterless, they are silent. 
When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their course when of their course wind along. They go up into nothing and perish. The caravans of Tima looked, and travelers of Sheba hoped for. They were disappointed, for they had trusted. They came there and were confounded. Indeed, you have become such. You are you see a, a terror and are afraid. Have I said, give me something, or offer a bribe from for me from my from your wealth, or deliver me from the hand of the adversary, or redeem me from the tyrants? Teach me, and I will be silent. Show me how I have erred. How painful are honest words! What does your argument prove? Do you intend to reprove my words when the words of one in despair belong to the wind? You even you would even cast lots for the orphans, and barter your over your friend. Now please look at me, and see if I lie to your face. Desist now, let there be no injustice. Even desist. My righteousness is yet in it. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern calamities? Joe believes that his friends should be comforting him and being gracious to him since he's suffering so badly. Every sufferer needs a good comforting friend. Because all friends, all loving friends, all caring friends, all comforting friends tend to make the sufferer suffer easier. Loving friends make suffering easier to manage. But Job's friends are being so inappropriate to use a lack of a better term. They're being so harmful to Job's faith that if they, if they keep talking like this, they're going to derail his faith. A friend should be comforting. While, while if, let me say it like this. While a friend is hurting, he needs someone to come and comfort him so that he doesn't give up on the Lord. Here is Job suffering, and his friends are coming to him to comfort him. And yet, they are not acting in a comforting way. And if they're not careful, they could be the reason why Job leaves the Lord. We have to be careful. And we need wisdom to know how to handle situations with suffering people. Lest we turn them completely from God. We could be the reasons why someone turns from the Lord if we're not careful. Our job when people are hurting is to try and comfort and help them whatever way wisdom shows us to. Because we could be the ones to turn them from the Lord. Awadi, verse 15. What is Awadi? Well, Awadi is like a valley or a ravine that is dry until the rainy season. So Job compares... Uh, the th- the friends to be like the de- like uh, he compares the friends to being deceitful like a wadi you know during the rest of the year there's no rain and then all of a sudden the rainy season comes and there's rain and then it dries up again and that's kind of like the friends with their arguments the friends they got a lot to say they're like this rainy season wadi this rainy season v- ravine they got so much to say and then all their arguments. Once they get it off their chest, it's like it dries up. 
Or perhaps another way of looking at this is their arguments looks like they're right, but then once Job speaks out against them, they're actually waterless. They really don't have any real good arguments. In verse 17, when they become waterless, they are silent. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. When the friends don't have anything else to say, they become silent. And when they become silent, they vanish from their place. They don't really have any good arguments. They're just kind of telling Job lies. Not intentionally, but their accusations are false. Job is innocent. Job's not done anything wrong. And yet the friends keep cultivating this lie that Job must have sinned in some way. But the truth is, the friends don't know why he's suffering. And all you have to do is examine their arguments to see the flaws in them. Job claims to be innocent. No, you're not. You have to have done something. No, I didn't do anything. Yes, you have. Were you here? No. Well, how do you know? Because our assumption is that the righteous are blessed and the wicked suffer. Well, see, that's really the basis of their arguments. And yet, is that always true? I don't think so. So Job accuses his friends of getting scared because of his sufferings. They have no real backbone. They're wishy-washy, and they're too proud to see that their arguments are completely false. You know, these travelers, they come and they look, and they're disappointed for they had trusted. In verse 20, they came and they were confounded. Indeed, you have become as such. You, are, you see a terror and are afraid. Perhaps they're afraid of Job's suffering. And the friends give Job advice that they, he never really asked for. Job didn't really care what his friends thought all that much. He cared to defend himself and his righteousness when they accused him. But he didn't really care if the uh, friends thought he was wicked in the sense of he didn't take them seriously. They said, Job, you're wicked. He said, no, I'm not. If he would have taken them seriously, perhaps he would have thought, oh, maybe you're right. But Job has more confidence in his own righteousness and in himself than people that weren't even there when he began suffering. And so the friends are offering Job advice he never asked for. But really, Job wants God. Job wants to talk to God. Job wants God to tell him why he's suffering. That's the one who he wants to talk to. Not really these friends. They're kind of the ones there yapping. They're kind of there talking for no reason, unwarrantedly. And so Job calls on his friends. Okay, guys, if you really want to give me advice, if you're really going to tell me, teach me in verse 24, and I will be silent. They need to give him a legitimate reason for why he's suffering, and then maybe he'd listen to them. Job's friends like to correct him, but they forget that he's suffering. Does that ever happen to us? Does it ever happen to us that we're too busy trying to correct people that we forget that they're hurting? It's understandable when suffering people say things that aren't completely true, they're not completely right. And it's not right for them to do that. It's not right for them to lie or to speak out against God wrongfully. 
But we need to realize that stuff like that's going to happen. And again, we just need to use wisdom to know when to say what and how to say what. We just need to be gracious and helpful. The friends would have done much better if they would have just kept quiet. Or if they were had, they just had to speak up and try and help verbally. They should have listened to Job when he said what he said. But instead, they relied too much on their own wisdom. And that's where they got themselves in trouble. We need to be wise in picking when to correct somebody and when to sympathize with them. And of course, it's not to say that everything Job said was right. Because it wasn't. But that doesn't mean that it's helpful for the friends to just keep bashing him over and over and over again. For quote unquote saying the wrong things. Which was true. He didn't always say the right things. But just hurting, trying to get to him and insulting him just wasn't helpful. wasn't helpful at all. And then Job says in verse 27, You would even cast lots for the orphans and barter over your friend. That Job's friends would treat orphans like they treat him. They barter for him. They sell him for other goods. They do the same thing to the orphans. Isn't that horrible? The Job accuses his friends of being wicked themselves. They would be willing to uh, uh, treat a child the way they treat him. We need to be careful with the way we treat others and the way others see the way we treat them. We need to make sure that when we're trying to be helpful, when we have to correct somebody, that we do it out of love. And not this, Job, you sin, you got to repent, turn back to the Lord. This just wasn't helpful. We need to make sure we're trying to be helpful, trying to be loving, trying to put ourselves in their shoes. That's how Job started the chapter, wasn't it? Oh, in verse 2, that my grief were actually weighed and laid in the balances together with my calamity. If you would just consider how much I'm suffering and why I'm saying these things, maybe then you would understand. We need to do that with people. Be willing to try and relate to them. And so Job ends by saying he wants his friends to examine his argument. See if he's really lying or really saying something that's wrong. And if he is, then then correct him. But if he's not, then stop. Stop saying these false things. Because they're simply not true. And Job is going to continue this in chapter 7. Continued speaking about uh, his, his, continue, continue his response to Eliaphaz. And in that chapter, he's going to continue to speak about how he feels that there's no real end to his suffering. That he feels like he's like a person forced to work, waiting to receive his paycheck. Um, he's waiting for vindication, waiting for um, God to give him relief, give him hope. But he feels like he's suffering. His days are going by fast. They got no hope. And so, Lord willing, we will pick up in chapter 7 next time. But thank you so much for listening. May we all learn to be wise in the way we handle suffering people. And when we are the ones suffering, may we be wise in the way we allow others to help us. God bless you. May we all suffer, not as an evildoer, but as a Christian.